Duffalo Bread Podcast. We are sitting here on November the 5th, uh, having the Bills just finish up a week after their victory uh, against the Green Bay Packers on Sunday Night Football, and they're going into uh, New Jersey to play against the Jets this weekend. How are we feeling uh, there, Dan? We're going to do a quick recap and a preview and, uh, and get this thing get this thing out there for the fans. I'm feeling good. This, this week was a reminder of why we started this podcast under the original banner of keeping the receipts, though, because the Buffalo Bills, granted, played with their food a little bit in the second half when it came to the Green Bay Packers, but it led to all of this senseless week-long conversation about useless power rankings, about who's better, the Eagles or the Bills. And it all came down to style points, because the Eagles had a really impressive win against the Steelers, and the Bills... It played average and beat a beat a middling Packers team by two scores. Um, we're going to dig into that game a little bit. There, there were some things that I saw that I think are are go, trending in the Bills' direction. A couple others that I think might be cause for concern against the Jets. But overall, man, it's not about style points. It's about wins and losses. And the Bills right now are uh, are doing well in the win column, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I'm I'm there too. I think every everybody in Bills Mafia probably left that game with the, you know the three points in the second half and the, the defense or the offense looking kind of middling. The defense giving up a lot of rushing yards. Josh Allen, you know, um, kind of doing a throwback to 2019 Josh Allen and throwing a couple of ill-fated passes to to be intercepted. Um, I think everyone left that game maybe with the same feeling I did, where you're like, okay, they won, but I don't feel great um, and. You know, even Josh Allen being interviewed immediately after the game on the field said that was a gross win. And so I think that was a great way to describe it. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. They all count the same. The Bills are still the top um, top rated and, and win-loss column AFC team and still in line if the season ended today for that one seed in the, in the first week by. Um, and that's all that really matters. That's the goal of the season. It doesn't matter how you get there. And that means, you know... If there's a 9-6 snooze fest against the, the Cleveland Browns or something and they still win it, that that's okay. That's that's what it takes, right? We just got to get the Ws. Exactly. And and I think again, this is where we're at with with the Buffalo Bills, not just as a as a local fan base and Bills Mafia, but also with the national media. We did a pod, I want to say it was 2 years ago where national analysts were complaining that the Chiefs were in decline. And the reason they were in decline is that they had failed to cover the Vegas spread um, like in seven consecutive games. There were these ridiculous double-digit spreads, and the Chiefs weren't covering, but they were winning. And I remember that year the Chiefs went to yet another AFC championship, and we discussed how useless it is to have those conversations around things that are basically stylistic and aesthetic. Like, yes, the Green Bay Packers got a backdoor cover. So if any of you bet the Bills in the points, I think the spread on that game was 11.5 by the end. I'm sorry that they only won by 10, and I'm sorry the Packers came in with right. a backdoor cover, right? I think my larger concern for something tangible and something that's other than, like, sugary stylistic stuff is that the Bills in the second half of that game looked like they were effing around a little bit. We expected to see, because it was the, the Bills game before the trade deadline, we expected to see James Cook coming out of the bye, potentially get a few more featured routes or featured play calls in the past game to see what it is exactly they had in him before they started decided to make a move for a running back at the trade deadline. And we didn't see that stuff, JJ, till the second half, right? I mean, the Bills got out to a pretty decent lead after the first half. And then after that, it was almost kind of like they said, all right, guys, let's try some stuff out and, and, and go from here. Um, Allen faced a lot of pressure in that game. He was pressured on 40% of his dropbacks, but he was 6 for 8 against pressure. But I agree with you, it did feel a little bit like last year in that, not that they were pressing, but it was really, really clear they were trying to orchestrate some deep shots against this Green Bay Packers defense. Because as we had noted in the pregame pod, a lot of talent on this Green Bay defense, but their toxic differential, absolutely in the favor of the opponents. So it was very much so like the Bills were trying to, almost overly so, exploit Green Bay's ability to give up the big plays, and it led to a few Josh Allen mistakes. But yeah, in the second half, it looked like they were 
it, it looked like they were in like let's just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks type of mode and that's not something we've been used to seeing with the bills in the second half it's been it's been a flipped script where in the first half the bills have not struggled but they've kind of been dancing around their opponent and then put them away in the second half this was the first game of the season where the buffalo bills didn't have that killer second half mentality that we're used to seeing they looked not listless but they looked aimless in the second half when it came to play calling it's almost like is um is is winning boring for the buffalo bills that's that's a narrative terrible and never we (laughs) never no but like (laughs) but but i hear you you, yeah you you called back to to when we started the pod and i i feel like at the time we started the pod like so many fan bases in the nfl especially those without franchise qbs they have these conversations about what a good loss is right like um and style points do matter because it's a it's the fact of like we want to look respectable, we want to hold up against the good teams even if we can't beat them. Um, Moral and boost. So it's, yeah, yeah, and we talk about this all the time too. That like it's a weird place to live for Bills Mafia and the fan base that we're literally being like, ew, that that wasn't a good enough win. That wasn't a twenty point you know drudging where all four phases absolutely stepped on the throats and dominated the opponent. Um, but that that's the reality, right? That's what we expect in what is um, widely regarded as, if not the best team, one of the top three best teams in the NFL by basically everybody. Um, you know, power rankings aside, because I think it's a silly practice, you know. Um, it, it, nobody's going to challenge anyone who says the Bills are, are one of the top three or four teams in the league, you know, without a doubt. Everyone's, like, going to agree on that fact. So it is a weird place, and I think that, one of the other things that happened in the second half, and part of the reason that Green Bay, you know, looked competent on offense, is they basically just abandoned passing for until the very last, you know, four or five minutes of that yeah. game, and I and it, largely because of the pass rush, I think that the Green Bay Packers know that having Aaron Rodgers injured is an end to their season. And so they literally just, you know, the run was working because the Bills were selling out to stop the pass. And the Bills didn't mind that the the Green Bay Packers were running. It looked schematically when I watched all 22, like they were still dropping into pretty deep zones and didn't giving up anything underneath, which meant the middle of the field was open for very, very good running backs and a decent run blocking line. Um, And they didn't mind it. You know, who who cares if you're down three scores, if you're going to do a nine minute drive or, um, yeah, in the second half, the Green Bay Packers had, I think it was eight or nine minutes off the clock over the course of two drives, and it was like 26 plays, and they came away with three points for the total of those two drives. And it's like, if you're in the defense, who cares if during those that nine minutes they accumulate 160 run rush yards? Because like, that doesn't matter. Points matter. That's what Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott always say is that they don't care about the yards. What what matters is situational football and, and what happens when that team gets down into the low red. Yeah, I yeah, it the the whole the whole conversation around this game to me has been just befuddling. I, I do think there were things that were a realistic cause for concerns. Um but I, I again the Buffalo Bills like Sean McDermott we make a big deal about this team being undefeated after a bye in the McDermott era but as you and I have pointed out they've never come out of a bye week like super sharp and I yep. think I think after they had such a successful first half against this Green Bay team and they saw that Green Bay was just not going to change their strategy at all no matter how many scores they were down by Green Bay seemed committed to the run the Bills seem perfectly committed to playing their what is basically their base nickel defense. Um, I mean, they're almost exclusively a nickel team. And like you said, just drop back. Now, real concern, Poyer goes down again in that game with, with an elbow injury, and he is out this Sunday against the Jets, uh, which in part has led, I think, to the Dean Marlowe trade, which we're going to break down again. What was concerning, and I think is is more concerning than the Bills giving up a ton of yards to a really good running back in Aaron Jones, um, is that the minute Poyer went down, Rodgers felt really comfortable attacking the deep parts of the field against the uh, the Bills' safety duo. Um, we saw the same thing when they played Miami. Like, there's zero fear when Poyer is not on the field for teams to attack this, this Buffalo Bills defense deep. 
and that is a liability for them, I think, moving forward. And, and really one of the only few real points of concern I pulled from this game is that if they don't get that safety situation right or if Poyer can't get healthy, I do think the Bills are going to be exposed to big plays moving forward. Trey White being activated um, is going to be a huge deal for us. But again, the way the Buffalo Bills play their zone in that deep cover two, safety play needs to be on point and bracketing and run support in all phases. And without Poyer, that's a not a deficient, but a below average area of their defense that I think teams will be willing to exploit. Well, and I think that you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, if you want to, we, we can kind of put a bow on the Packers recap um, and move into the trades. But absolutely, I think that the thing that, you know, when people talk about the Bills having one of the, one of the best, if not the best safety duo in, in Jordan Porter and Micah Hyde in the backfield um, for their defense, what they're saying is that part of the reason the Bills give, have given up the least uh, number of big explosive passing plays since Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott took over the entire NFL, their defense is best in that particular category and statistic, um, is that Poyer and Hyde will make everyone pay for that. Um, their first year together, they had each had four interceptions, and that's when teams studying the film realized if a ball is up there, these two are going to find it and get it, even if it's yeah. well thrown. And so, and I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right that that's that's a thing that we really need to pay a lot of attention to the rest of the season. Is you know, I, I think Dean Marlowe is a bit of an upgrade in terms of his starting experience, his experience in the in the defense over Jaquan Johnson and Demar Hamlin. Um, but he is not Micah Hyde or Jordan Porter. He's probably a slight you Correct. know slight tick up above average, um, but definitely not in their realm. And will the Bills need to do some things? You know, um, whether that's blitz or, you know, some of their uncharacteristic things in defense going forward against other teams in order to protect the back end. Um, you know, yeah. by blitzing, they're going to cut down the time time to throw. And that means that the, the availability of the, the deep stuff is probably not there because the receiver just can't get there. Um, so I expect if, if I'm if I'm those, you know, Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, um, you know, in, in Madden coaching, Madden coaching simulation, I might I might end up sending more blitzes to try to keep things short and underneath. Yeah, without a doubt, you're going to have to protect the back end of that defense. And again, it, it it just puts more pressure on the defensive line, which had again, other than than run stopping, uh, had a really great game against Green Bay. Tim Settle showed up, had probably his best game of the season. But yeah, I agree with you. It, it puts more pressure on the defensive line and the defensive scheming to figure out how to bring the QB down more or create even more pressure than the Bills are already creating. Um, we don't have a timetable on Poyer's return at this point. I think sitting him out for the Jets game probably makes a lot of sense because, you know, I mean, the, Garrett Wilson is a great receiving threat, and we'll, we'll talk about this when we get into the preview, but I don't think the Bills see Zach Wilson as the type of guy who's going to regularly exploit consistently the deep parts of the field at QB. Now, this sounds crazy, but if Joe Flacco was the starting QB for the Jets, I would actually have more concern about him exposing that vulnerability. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Bills pull out for a game plan against the Jets here, because they don't necessarily have the the weapons to exploit where the Bills right now are weakest in the secondary. Um, but long-term, moving forward this season, that defensive line is going to have to come up with even more answers and play more stellar than they have already. Absolutely. And, you know, and certainly, you know, Poyer comes back and, and puts all injury concerns behind him and has a healthy rest of the season because it's been bad, you know, these first seven, eight weeks uh, in terms of him missing games. Um, and you really, that's just the hope, right? And then for him as a person is also to be fully healthy and feel good and play, play his, his best. But um, the, uh, the, when I look, and this is kind of forecasting out of this week, which I know isn't what we're doing right now, but when I look on the schedule, there are some teams, and I'm, I'm looking at you, Joe Burrow and Cincinnati, that yeah. will definitely make you pay deep down the, down the line and could be pivotal games in the AFC race, um, specifically just keep helping the Bills keep their lead on Kansas City uh, that they will need to get, and, and I worry a little bit about those. But um, with all that said, um, you know, do you want to uh, do a recap of our predictions? Yeah, man. How did we do? I feel like I did okay with this one. Not, yeah. not, not, not as bad as the KC game. I felt like I did okay with this. 
Yeah, so we both, um, so the, uh, the under hit again, uh, of course. 44, uh, 44 was the, the, at the end of the day, the, the total and, uh, 47.5 was what the, the line was set at. And so, um, you had, uh, under, under hitting, which you were right on, uh, 28, 12 and the bills won 27 to 17. So pretty close. And then yeah. I had 28 to nine. I didn't give the cre- I didn't give the Packers credit. Neither of us gave the Packers credit to catch catch a, a single touchdown. So they they both proved us wrong. But um, we both hit on the under. And then for our props, I had Ed Oliver one sack, and he had one, but it was erased by penalty. Yes. Um, and that that's unfortunate. And then uh, <laughs> you had Stefan Diggs over one and a half touchdowns. That did not hit. He ended up um, getting one touchdown. Uh, you thought it was a multi-touchdown game. And that's part of it, just to kind of flip back, that's part of the reason that I think that Josh Allen kind of looked shaky in the second half. I think all of the chippiness, a player got ejected from this game for the Packers. Mm-hmm. They were they were jawn from the literal first snap and, and first kickoff. I think part of the problem that Josh Allen had is he's such a competitor. He probably still feels some kind of way about Aaron Rodgers laughing at Tom Brady's jokes about Josh Allen being chubby during the match this summer playing golf, um, I think he wanted to destroy and embarrass Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers on national TV on Sunday night. And we know when he starts playing more emotionally, that's when problems happen. That's the 2019 Josh Allen who tries to press and grip and goes a little too hard. And so I think Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen, maybe both um, had that sort of, uh, you know, progression to their, to their efforts that, that was a problem. Gabe Davis, um, I had him for one and a half touchdowns. I thought he was the one who was going to get two touchdowns because I thought Jair Alexander, their best corner, was going to follow Stefan Diggs. Turns out Stefan Diggs and Jair Alexander barely played against each other, but they seemed to have some massive rivalry throughout the game. Um, but Jair Alexander did a great job against Diggs, who ended up with just two receptions for 35 yards um, in the game. So those are our uh, props and outcomes. Uh, do you want to talk... Anything anything to close out Bills-Packers um, before we move on to the trade deadline stuff? I mean, a win is a win. And it, I'm, I'm not huge into style points. So if I were to summarize this, big takeaway for me is the injury to Poyer and some of the yeah. second-half uh, aimlessness that we saw from the Buffalo Bills as far as offensive and defensive play calling. It, it felt like they knew they had this game in hand, And there's a danger when you start playing down to your competition, which is ultimately what I think the Bills did here. It was the first time we saw them with that mentality this season. Um, Not saying they didn't compete. Of course, they were competitive. You mentioned the chippiness. But it felt like they were playing down to their competition. And in a week where you're playing a division rival who is on the rise, but from a roster build standpoint, far behind where you're at, it's something to keep an eye on if the Bills carry that mentality over week to week here. Because the Jets are only a game and a half back of the Bills right now for the lead in the division. Same with the Dolphins. So the Bills cannot afford any kind of, uh, can't afford to take their foot off the gas against the Jets. Yep. Yeah, and, and I think that the one thing that is nice is um, <clears throat> Josh Allen tends to come back after games where he has a couple of nasty interceptions and be way sharper in his career, and that's what we've seen a number of times, even when he was a young quarterback. If he had a, some bad tape for a week, his next week was usually quite, quite better. So Correct. hopefully that trend continues this this uh, this matchup against the, the uh, New Jersey Jets. Um, during the trade deadline, which happened just on Tuesday, we're recording here Saturday morning, um, the Bills made two moves. Uh, they moved a, um, a certain... Uh, Zach Moss, running back who's been inactive most of the season to give uh, touches to um, uh, to Cook. They, they moved him and a, was it a, a conditional sixth uh, for um, Naheem Hines. And I'm very excited about this move. And then the other move they made was they sent a seventh to Atlanta to bring in Dean Marlowe. Um, most Bills fans will recognize Dean Marlowe uh, as, as a player who came in with McDermott and is well-versed in the McDermott and Frazier defense, um, played here for a few seasons and then left last year um, to go to, I'm sorry, the year before last to go to Detroit in free agency. They you know, certainly just gave him money that the Bills were not willing to spend in the backup safety position. Uh, and then this season he went down to Atlanta. 
uh, was playing off and on in Atlanta. Atlanta is a kind of middling, flailing team, and so they were looking for some more draft capital, and were willing to, to part with with Dean Marlowe, whose family was super excited to come back to Buffalo, um, and sure. did not, you know, <laughs> did not seem to to be worried about the impact on on you know Falcons fans as they were like tweeting and sending Instagram posts about how happy they are to be coming home and like how. You know, they, they, it was no like, hey, thanks, you know, Atlanta, Atlanta fan. It was very much like, yay, we're leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's exciting. So those are the two moves. Um, let's take them one by one. Dan, what are your thoughts on Naeem Hines from the Colts? It, and Zach I, I Moss's think, departure. I mean, Moss's departure we've been talking about for a couple of weeks. I mean, we honestly, we've been talking about it since the beginning of the season. He's, he's always felt like the odd man out in that rotation. They have tried to actively replace him and Motor for years. Singletary, unlike Moss, has developed other aspects of his game to continue to fit the scheme and be sort of chameleon-esque in the skill set that he brings to the table. Every year when you say the Buffalo Bills need this in the backfield, Singletary has developed that piece of the game. Moss simply hasn't. Um, they were looking for a little little thunder and lightning combo when they drafted these guys, Motor being the lightning and Moss being the thunder. Ultimately, it didn't end up working out. So now the Bills are really leaning into a backfield, which we've been saying for years they should, um, yep. a backfield that is lethal catching the ball, um, lethal catching the ball and can potentially break big plays in space. Cook has that ability. Hines brings that ability to bear. And then you have Singletary who can do some of that, but really serves now as your more traditional, a lot more traditional running back. You know, Josh Allen lines up under center, gives it to Motor, and Motor uh Motor delivers on again in that Green Bay game. He had about 3.3 yards of free clearance from that offensive line before contact. So Motor becomes your traditional back. Cook and Hines become your sort of home run hitters in the pass catching game. Um and I like it. I mean, the Bills the Bills needed to address this area. We, You and I both like the way that Cook has developed over the course of the season. But when you are in your Super Bowl window, uh, sometimes you can't afford a player the ability to fully develop into their the potential that they need. Hines is basically what a finished product of Cook could look like. Fast, home run hitting ability, amazing pass catcher out of the field incredibly elusive in open space and i think dorsey is going to have a really fun time scheming up some uh some nice slip routes here and maybe even a couple of wheel routes a la madden for a guy like heinz well and, and heinz has tape already from this season of connecting on wheel routes um with you know matt ryan a couple of times that you know looked really tight and so yep. you know that that's an opportunity for them there are things that the bills have not had in their offense that they drafted James Cook to put in their offense, but are not able to because he's too too green, too too young in the system, too young in the in the league. Um, still developing. Still needs to develop a little bit, yeah. And I think that the one thing this is just hot take time. This trade might be might mean for the offense as much or or a little less than the trade for Diggs, because. Not only are you getting a pass-catching running back with proven production in the league who's never had a good quarterback and now does have one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but he's also under contract at a reasonable about $6 million per year if you pay him out everything through 2025. So free agency 2025 is the first year he's off. That gives some stability. Assuming Naeem Hines produces, assuming he stays healthy, that gives the Bills some stability at the position that they haven't had in a proven player um, ever since they, you know, they moved on from LaShawn McCoy. That's an excellent type of stability to have. Uh, and then Naeem Hines, the, the one other piece that I think people are maybe not focusing on too much, is the Bills have sort of had a, a variety of players catching punts and kickoffs. Naeem Hines is a specialist in those regards in, in mm-hmm. kicking punt recover, or return. And so I can see him making an immediate impact in kick and punt return. Um, the Bills have good return units because they do focus on special teams and using roster you know, allocation for that. Uh, and so maybe I see him making some, some splash plays on, on special teams, even maybe before he, he's fully in mastery of the offense and, and made a big piece of that. But, yeah, I think that this could be a, a major, major acquisition if you're looking back at the 2022 season and telling a story. And then it also gives the Bills the ability, 
you know, again, presuming he, he works out pretty well, um, to not have to look again to the early rounds for running back for a while. Yeah, and that, that to me would be one of the biggest benefits here. Um, if he, Because he gives you that contract stability, he fits into your system, he fits into your scheme, and he provi- provides a multitude of value for what you said was the relatively low cap hit that he brings to the table, both in the offense and on special teams. Um, and I think it's, a, it's another insurance policy against the offensive line. The offensive line has really improved on their run blocking. And pass blocking slowly but surely as the offensive line unit begins to gel is getting better as well. But having a guy like Himes who can reliably catch balls out of the backfield is yet another safety blanket for Josh Allen for quick checkdowns against the blitz, um, a quick safety net against uh, four-man pressure, right? He can expose the, Hines can expose the, the flats, the middle part of the field, which is where a lot of, if you look at our divisional rivals, are pretty weak right like Miami Dolphins just traded for Bradley Chubb which is going to be great for them because it's going to allow them to rush four and and blitz less currently they're the third heaviest blitz team but they still don't have much reliable play across the middle of the field so this is a great counter to the Chubb acquisition to me because it's still going to allow you to a more uh, higher level of efficacy to exploit a key weakness in the defense of a divisional rival. So I think Hines brings a lot to bear on this offense, and I'm excited to see. Uh, I'm excited to see. It's not going to come to fruition this week or even next week, but I'm excited to see as we get past Thanksgiving what Hines how what Hines looks like when he's really clicking in this offense. Yeah, and I, I, you're absolutely right. I think there's something also to be said that across the division. Um, whether it's the Dolphins, Jets, or Patriots, the weakness is pretty similar across all three, and that's the uh, linebacking core is not elite for any one of those teams. And when you have Naeem Hines matched up against a linebacker, you have a clear advantage that you haven't been able to exploit because you haven't had a burner pass catching back. And so I think that that's a smart move by the Bills. Um, I'm curious, you know, we'll never know this, but I'm curious to know what, trade talks the Bills were in on before they settled on these two um, because it's always just so fascinating to me how the, how the league moves and shakes. Um, it's, yeah. It sounds like they were it sounds like they were in on Elvin Kamara, but the asking price from yeah. the Saints was too high. I don't think they were in on Kareem Hunt at all, which I was really happy no. about. <laughs> um, well, I, I will, yeah, I, I will be curious, you know, because Kareem Hunt is a, you know, domestic abuser piece of shit. Yes. But, um, yeah. um, but I, I'll be curious to see if they were in any talks for Jesse Bates. You and I had brought that up and, you know, not just the health to Poyer, but you look at, look at a, a long, deep run here. Um, as JJ slams his fist down furiously at the Bills missing on Jesse Bates. <laughs> um, such a good player. <laughs> is such a good player. Yeah, no. But again, I, I'm sure the asking price there from the Bengals probably was going to be insane. And I, I, But I'd be curious if the Bills even even tested the waters on that one. Like, And, and I think this is a good segue into Dean Marlowe. Dean, Dean Mar- the Dean Marlowe trade is clearly like a stopgap, which tells me that the Bills think that Poyer will ultimately be healthy for what we hope will be a deep postseason run. Um, and that longer term, um, Hyde will potentially successfully come back from his neck injury and be able to contribute, and next year will be the final year of his contract. For a guy like Bates, it, that's a, that's an acquisition that helps you now, but also creates, I think, some long-term, uh, longer-term issues for the Bills as far as what they would be doing at the safety position. Um because you're going to have to pay Bates, because I believe he's in the final year of his contract this year too. Uh, so are you renting? Are you renting a high quality safety? That's not usually the Bills' style. And then why create a salary cap issue of who do I pay? Poyer, Hyde, or Bates? Right. So I think at the end of the day, the long term probably outweigh the short term benefits of the Bills not pulling the trigger on that, or maybe not even engaging in talks. But th- that would have w- would have been interesting to see how and if the Bills were involved in any conversations there. Well, and I think that that's going to be a, a key topic for us in, in our Madden GM segments after February, um, where we will be talking about what the Bills will be doing at safety. Micah Hyde presumably will be coming back for the last year of his contract in 23, 23, returning in 23. And that's awesome, and we love that. And Micah, Micah and Jordan are great, and I, I would like to have them every snap until they retire, right? Um, but the reality is, 
we have not seen the Bills uh, invest any meaningful draft capital capital in the safety position since McDermott showed up here. He got mm-hmm. two free agent, you know, safeties. Um, definitely has a great eye for it. They've trusted that that keen eye of Frazier and McDermott to to repeatedly fill that position with late and uh, undrafted free agents um, who are young players. And I, we've talked so much about how much we appreciate Jaquan Johnson and DeMar Hamlin, and they very well could be a wonderful starting duo. This is the first time we're seeing them have to, you know, put the pelts on the wall. Um, and so that's an opportunity for them to develop for sure. But I am also curious, is this the year that the Bills start to, like, use higher blue-chip prospects in the draft or, you know, free agency, go out and find somebody who's a um, known starter and slotted in at that starting position at one of those safety spots. Um, if they cannot reacquire Jordan Poyer or injuries continue to plague his season, which is actually, that's another storyline, is that if Jordan Poyer has a down year um, because he misses a lot of games injured, that could be all of the hometown discount that the Bills need to get him back on contract for a few years um, mm-hmm. and pay him at below an all-pro level. Uh, because, you know, the market's not there for him. And we've seen that from the Bills a couple of times in free agency is they'll say, hey, it's, it's that player's right to go out and test the market, and the, the player goes out, um, and then they don't find the market they're looking for, and then they come back on a reasonable deal for the Bills. And Poyer's a different story. He's an all-pro, um, you know, and has that under his belt. But it, it is curious if he continues to have an injured year and not a breakout, you know, all-pro year again, that's going to that's gonna change the dynamic in the end of the year. Could very well. It could very well. And you and I both love Poyer. And I think more importantly, when Poyer is not on the field, you see teams all of a sudden become fearless against the deep part of that Buffalo Bills secondary. So I think that tells you a lot about how much guy uh, uh, offensive coordinators around the league respect what Poyer and Hyde bring to the table. Um, their ability to shut down some of those deep routes and some of those um, some of those big plays. It will be very interesting to see. Marlowe is a great, again, great stopgap. And I think that tells you everything you need to know there about how they value Marlowe. Seventh round pick, basically giving back the seventh round pick that Bean had somehow gotten for Lee Smith from Atlanta a couple of years back. So, yeah. so yeah. So we'll we'll see how this works out. But Marlowe provides some stability. And, and like we always say, he provides a known floor. He provides a higher floor right now than Hamlin or Johnson. And that's just what the Bills need, I think, to get through until they can better assess what Poyer's health is going to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, so are you ready to move on to uh, the Jets-Bills lineup? I can't wait. I can't All wait. Right. Let's talk Let's talk <laughs> about the New Jersey Jets, man. The New Jersey Jets. So um, as mentioned before, they're, they're a little bit – I'll talk about their defense first because I think we can always start, start there with the Bills' offense versus the Jets' defense. Um as mentioned before, their their linebacking core is is you know vulnerable to the pass. Um, C.J. Mosley in his you know first few seasons was one of the most elite coverage corner or coverage uh, linebackers in the league. Still an excellent coverage linebacker, but you know he's at this point about eight seasons in and has been stronger against the run and run fits coming downhill than than he has been against the pass. And so I think that's a vulnerability. Quincy Williams, who was traded, you know, who they got from the Jaguars um, for that other linebacker position, I think is vulnerable uh, in the past as well. So the middle of the defense, I have questions about that. Their defensive front four is just absolutely stifling. And one of the best, you know, they've, they've had an excellent defensive line for years now, and it continues. Quinn and Williams is basically having an all-pro year. Yep. He's, you know, PF, PFF's third best defensive interior um, lineman in the entire league, and he plays like it. When you watch him on film, he's all over the field. He's stuffing everything in the middle. He's putting pressure on the, the quarterback um, often. Even if he's not turning that into sacks, he's definitely disrupting the play. Uh, and so they have, they have a very, very good defensive line. They have okay linebackers. They have decent safeties. But the biggest difference for that team, and one that they, you know, they basically flipped from the worst defense in the NFL to one of the top, you know, five top ten defenses in the NFL, just by two additions at the outside corner position, in adding DJ Reed uh, from the Seahawks and uh, Sauce Ahmad Sauce Gardner, their first, you know, one of their first picks, um, fourth overall, uh, and he has looked the part. I've you know, 
watching a lot. I've watched all the Jets games at this point. They had two incredible contributors on their team from the draft in Brees Hall and Sauce Gardner. Brees Hall, of course, went down with an ACL, but Sauce Gardner on the defense has been essentially a lockdown corner from the moment he stepped on the field, which is super rare for a cornerback. Um, but he's proven his draft status, and, and he scares me a little bit. I'm curious to see if he just follows Diggs like we thought um, the you know the pack would do, or if or if he's just kind of matched up on one side of the field, whoever's there with him. So it, it's curious. I think that there's... There's certainly vulnerabilities. I don't think that the Jets have seen a, an offense of the caliber that the Bills are bringing to bear, and so it's it's it'll be curious to see that because um, there's not very many offenses that are that caliber in the league. Uh, but the Jets do have an excellent defense. What are your thoughts on the Bills' offense versus the Jets' defense? You know, it, it's it's this is going to sound hot takey, but it's not. This is probably the best defense. Uh, player for player, position for position that the Bills have faced all season. I mean, would you agree with us? Um, I would. Yeah, I would agree with this in terms of execution. I think that the it's it's messed up that the Packers probably had the best defense on paper, but the I Jets. Know. Yeah, but the Jets have the best <laughs> executing defense that the Bills have faced yep. thus far. They Absolutely. uh. They have what a lot of teams don't to stop the Bills, which is a dominant four-man pass rush. Um, and then, like you said, elite outside corners that have the ability to to lock down a team's best wide-out weapon in man. And, you know, it was really interesting, the the strategy I saw the, the Packers deploy against Diggs, and I'll be curious to see if, if the Jets do the same thing. Uh, I, I would, listen, I would love to see Sauce and Diggs go at it for mm-hmm. 30 routes this game and just see what happens. Oh, yeah. But I think the calculation that teams are making right now is that if you put your best guy on Diggs or you bracket Diggs, it opens up the door for Gabe Davis, who has such a wide catch radius and big playability to really break games open. I think what we've been seeing teams do more of is is still obviously try to try to manage digs but really focus on shutting down davis because then you're limited to digs who's amazing but then a questionable i shouldn't say questionable relative relative to the rest of the receiving core a questionable slot situation right because mckenzie has had some up and down games uh khalil shakir who you and i both love still in his development right now so i wouldn't be surprised to see sauce play more potentially on davis Diggs still get his numbers, but then Allen really be limited to Diggs, whoever whoever the Bills feel like playing in the slot against the Jets, and then Dawson Knox, who has yet to have that big breakout game. The key to the game for me as we talk about the, the weakness in the linebacking core is going to be Cook and Hines' ability to catch the ball out of backfield, but it's going to be Knox. I think if the Bills are going to win this game by the expected spread, Dawson Knox has to have a big game because I think teams have kind of keyed in on Gabe Davis. Um, they're they're committed to let Diggs do what he's going to do, kind of limit the damage. Um, and the Bills, I don't think yet, are as comfortable with the, their slot position as we thought they would be coming into the season with Crowder, McKenzie, and Shakir. So to me, the key to, on, on offense here is Dawson Knox. Well, and it's, you know, sneak peek, spoiler alert, uh, you know, we are... Kindred spirits, because one of my prop bets was that Dawson Knox gets more than one touchdown. Uh, because, <laughs> you know, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, this is why we do this thing. Um, yeah, no, I agree completely. I think that you know we both identified the middle of the field, the shorter checkdown stuff is a vulnerability, and especially with the Jets' pass rush, um, they do they do tend to be uh, undisciplined in their rush lanes because yep. they're looking for the big splash. And that gives you some opportunities of in the screen game. It gives you know the QB draws, things that we know the Bills like to do. We'll probably have some opportunities to get those 14, 18 yard runs um, in this game. In addition to ex- you know using the short passing game as an extension of the run, which the Bills did you know flawlessly in the first week against the Rams, um, and then again against the Titans. But we haven't really seen it as much in the last few weeks. In that you know the constant check down status, you know, for the Bills. Because I think keys of teams of course have been keen to it. 
but um, it might be time for for the Bills to revisit that and try to open some things and scheme th- some things open in that regard. Um, and just because you know we were talking about this, the Jets' defense has been excellent, but they have not really faced you know. They've played the Ravens, whom they lost to 24-9. They played the Browns, who they beat 31-30. They played the Bengals, who they lost to 27-12. Um, those are all Flacco games. And mm-hmm. then they beat the Steelers very, very you know, close, 24-20. They destroyed the Dolphins, which I always I just like because I don't like the Dolphins, 40-17. But that was against the Dolphins' third-string QB. Yeah. Um, and then they, they beat the Packers. We just saw the Packers, 27-10. Um, and then they beat the Broncos, who've largely, you know, um, underwhelmed everyone in the entire league. And, you know, I'd love to talk about Geno Smith right now, but the Seahawks just are laughing their way to the, the draft bank with that trade. Um, Seriously. And, and, the, and then just last week, in, in what was supposed to be a defining victory for the Jets, um, they actually, I think they went out ahead, and then they fell back to the Patriots 22-17. to um, Which, like, I'm, I'm all for that, too. I'm all for... The Jets, Dolphins, and Patriots just beating the crap out of each other and splitting all their series, so it's a very muddled AFC East, and the Bills can kind of effortlessly walk to the front of the line. Um, but that starts this weekend, and so I I truly believe that the Jets' defense is elite. I truly believe that the Bills' offense is elite, and so it's going to be strength on strength here, and I just, I'm here for it. I can't wait for, to see this game play out. Um, they're a little bit, you know, they're not weak in the defensive backfield the deep you know deep third of the field with their safeties but they're not super good so um their safeties uh lamarcus joiner and jordan whitehead are solid but not spectacular and so Mm -hmm. there will definitely be some opportunities um over the top uh unless they give those you know unless they back everybody up into a deep zone at which point let's go naeem hines uh james cook and, and devin singletary underneath dawson knox net you know, middle digs and those sorts of things. And and, and that's going to be the key. I'll be curious to see how the Jets come out and play this because it, you and I, you know, we unpacked it with the Packer game. We talked about a little bit of it post-game with the Chiefs. Um, you know, the, Allen is taking a lot more deep shots at this stage of the season this year than he was last year. He's still effective against pressure, like we said, against the Pack, six for eight. But there's something about Allen and Dorsey, when they see man coverage coming, it's almost like they immediately go to the the 30 30 air yards splash play. And when they have faced more zone this season, I think Allen and Dorsey have both shown a tremendous amount of patience, and they've shown a tremendous amount of intentionality in the scheming. There's something, though, when these guys face man that I wouldn't say makes them reckless, right? But it, it's it is like old school week one twenty twenty one, Dable scheming up four wideouts against Pittsburgh in week one. Even though you know T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward are are, are coming to to kill Josh, right? So I think if the Jets play zone, in a lot of ways that's almost going to feed what the Bills I think want to do or expected to do coming into this season. I think if the Jets bait uh, bait the Bills a little bit into playing man, I, I think you can see Josh turn the ball over again because he hasn't shown the same type of... I mean, he's effective, but he hasn't shown the same type of patience against man because he just knows he's got these dudes on the outside and Davis and Diggs, and he just wants that 50-yard bomb every time he sees yep. man in a one-on-one matchup. So so it'll be interesting. I think if the Jets rush four, drop everybody back, plays right into the Bills' hands. If they play a little bit more yep. man... And this seems counterintuitive because the Bills have such good weapons on the outside. But if they play a little bit more man, I think it baits the Bills into a little bit of inconsistency. And then they're going to become like a three-point shooting team in the NBA where they're going to live and die by the big play in this game. And I don't think if the Bills, that's what you want. Yeah, and I, I agree with that completely. I think that that's, that is the defensive strategy for the Jets. Send a little bit of extra help and pressure against Josh Allen play man, you know, lockdown man on the outside, hope he doesn't kill you with your, with his legs and just wait for your interceptions. Because you're right, like, that's... that's a, If there's one flaw in Josh Allen's game, and it's a very small flaw, it's that ex- excellent corners can intercept him because mm-hmm. he trusts his receivers so much. And the ball placement's yeah. usually excellent as well. It's just sometimes coverage beats receivers. Like, and that's... Yeah. 
that's how he will turn it over is because he, he is. He's always looking for, like, the knockout punch, and I really, I mean, I love that about him. It's the same thing that, it's the same way that people played Brett Favre his entire career. And he's going to, you Amen. know, he's gonna yeah. in the Hall of Fame. And so um, that's the kind of thing that, you know, it, it's it's essentially saying, like, okay, we know you're a gunslinger, sling it, and we'll get ours. And sometimes it works out, and sometimes you get beat 40 to 7, you get your head caved in against the Bills. And we're really hoping for that 40 to 7, but, uh, but there's a chance that it's much closer if there's some timely turnovers. I actually think that is the only path to success if you're a Jets fan against the Bills is extra possessions and turnovers. Of course. Um, because they just don't, they do not have it to keep up in a shootout. No, and that's a good segue to talk about Jets offense versus the Bills defense. So per per drop back EPA, out of 35 qualifying QBs in the league, Zach Wilson is 34th right now. Yeah. Only uh, only um, Tyler Tyler uh, Heineke from Washington Commanders. Uh, Taylor, Tyler, whatever his name is. That dude who's replacing Carson Wentz and somehow the Commanders oh, yeah. are winning more. Yeah. Um, he's he's the only QB below Zach Wilson. Um, I know it sounds crazy, and I know they want to see what they got out of Wilson. Um, and, and you got to take the Pats game the Jets played last week with a grain of salt because Belichick always confounds young QBs. But, I mean, Wilson just looks lost when he's oh, outside yeah. the pocket. If, if he is not going for that 30-yard splash play downfield, he just really struggles with basic things, you know? And I, I was reading a couple of, uh, you know, Jets fans' Twitter threads because I, I like to live in the cesspool. And they're like, well, <laughs> this, is what, this is what Josh Allen was a couple years ago. I'm like, no, Josh at least showed flashes of being able to sustain drives and make good yes. decisions. It was the consistency around that. I haven't seen any of that from Wilson. I haven't seen his ability to sustain a drive through the air consistently. I haven't seen an ability to properly read a defense post-snap, pre-snap, during snap at any point to properly diagnose his hot routes or his checkdowns or anything like that. He, he It looks like every time he gets the ball, he's improvising. And that's yes. a dangerous space, I think, for this team to be in. And, you know, the offensive line for um the offensive line for the jets is very vulnerable very very vulnerable at this point and again without Brees hall who is having an incredible season um james robinson is the the back they uh, jets ended up trading for out of jacksonville to kind of replace hall but without that threat that home run threat of Brees hall it's really going to let the bills key in on on what is a really a one-dimensional offense, I think, right now um, for the Jets. They've really struggled to score points all year with Wilson, and, and I think the pass rush should make some hay against the this Jets offensive line this week. So I, I don't think, I agree with you, I don't think the Jets can keep up in a shootout. I don't know that it's going to get to shootout territory, though. Well, and I think that the, uh, the the real thing with Zach Wilson and when people are, you know, comparing him to young Josh Allen, um, the, the difference is, and, and you actually see Lamar Jackson and even Pat Mahomes do this a little bit, Josh Allen, very like, it, it, the last time I saw him retreat when he experienced pressure, like drop back 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage, was I think in the, you know, it, as a regular part of his game was in the Houston playoff game, right? Like that yeah. was, he sort of break him, broke himself of that bad habit that young quarterbacks have um, because it's so hard to make a positive play when you're giving up that much space to the defense right. and you're really counting on all of your receivers coming back towards the line and turning 20-yard receptions into two-yard receptions just to try to get out of trouble. Um, that's basically Zach, that's Zach Wilson's like play. Like that is his play. As soon as he has pressure, if he doesn't have a clear path to escape right or left, he'll just run backwards and then start winging it, you know, um, off a back foot. And that's, that's different. That's not, you know, Josh Allen had that habit very briefly and he still occasionally will do that. And you're like, oh gosh, what are you doing? Because that's always when he takes a bad sack or fumbles it or something like Mm -hmm. that. He's gotten. He's been able to eliminate that from his game by mostly his ability to read the defense and deliver a quick strike. Right. Know what a blitz 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 beater is and hit it. Zach Wilson does not have that in his game. He is not able to hit a hot route with consistency um, when he gets pressure. And so I really see. And you're absolutely right. The uh, the the Bills versus the Jets, the or offensive line is so juicy. 
I mean, from left tackle all the way across their line, they don't have a single player that I would consider better than average, except for maybe Connor McGovern, their, their center. He's, he's solid. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of their guards, Lakin Tomlinson and Herbig on the right guard, Nate Herbig, um, neither of them are are good. You know, at this point, Lakin Tomlinson's been in the career, been in the league for um, quite a long time now, seven years going on. Um, he's having a terrible year. Both of them give up too much pressure to the inside. They don't know how to read kind of delays and stunts. And so I could see, you know, assuming Milano goes, he had an oblique injury and was kind of limited in practice this week. But assuming Milano plays, if the Bills do choose to send a little bit of pressure, I could see uh, Milano having a sack or two. Um, and then on the outside, you know, Rousseau and Von Miller should be able to eat. Dwayne Brown has looked kind of cooked. He's a very good tackle and has been. They traded for him um, when uh, Mackay Becton, is that their, their yeah. left tackle who went down? Becton, yeah. yep. Um, when Becton went down, they traded for Dwayne Brown, and he's – he looks like he doesn't necessarily have it. He's struggling mightily with speed rushers this year, mm-hmm. and the communication across their lines not very good. So they were much more adapted to being able to block for Brees Hall. We'll see how they do with you know Michael Carter and, and uh, Robinson taking snaps in the backfield at the running back position. Um, but they've not been great at pass protection, and that is where the Bills can eat. Yep, I agree. I think, um, you know, I... I mean, this feels like a good segue to get into predictions at this point because I think we've we've pretty well covered what the Jets are. They bring they bring some nice young a nice young core of talent to the table on both sides of the ball. We didn't even talk about Garrett Wilson on their their offense, um, who's been an incredible addition in the the pass game. But I just don't think they've got the QB that can exploit any of that against this Bills pass rusher defense. Um, it'll be really interesting to see a mistake prone. QB and Wilson, who makes a lot of poor decisions against what is one of the best coached and best pound-for-pound roster build-out build defenses in the league will be very interesting. But um, I feel like I'm ready for predictions and some prop bets, sir. What about you? I'm ready. Let's do it. What All do right. So for, let, for the score? So I got, I got obviously, I got the Bills winning. Um, and I'm going to go, again, and this is more respect for the Jets' defense than it is the Jets' offense, but I'm going to go Bills 28 Jets 10. And I know the spread on this game is I know the spread on this game is huge and that's nothing nothing uh no shade at the Jets defense which you and I both agree is probably the best overall unit the Bills will have faced at this point this year. It, it's just a commentary on their offense. Zach Wilson and then again without Brees Hall. So so I think the Bills are going to scrape together 28 points here against this uh, against this Jets D and I think the Buffalo Bills defense is going to do their job against a uh, uh, severely below average QB. So 28 ton. Um, I think that's a good, that's a good one. You're taking the under as well. The, uh, the, you know, the, the overall points on this is 47 and the bills are 12 and a half point favorites. So you have the bills covering uh, and the under hitting. Yep. I've got the under hitting and the bills covering. I think it's going to be 34 10. And I think mm-hmm. that that score is going to look closer than the game looks. Mm-hmm. Um, I see the Bills sort of rolling to uh, to a lead early and staying with a lead, and actually those thirty four points are you know not a, not disrespectful to the Jets defense, but rather I think disrespectful to the Jets offense and particularly Zach Wilson. I think that potentially the Bills could get some um, get some turnovers off Zach Zach Wilson making mistakes and get those turnovers possibly in Jets territory, which he's had a problem with. Um, giving the ball up, you know, with his back to his own end zone uh, and giving teams short scoring scoring drives. So I think that the Bills win 34-10. They cover, uh, hit the under hits yet again because the Bills defense is still, for some reason, the, the, you know, the people out there in the desert don't trust that the Bills defense can keep teams down in shootouts. Uh, and then I have two props. Uh, one is, I think, Ed Oliver. I, last week I said Ed Oliver more than one sack. This week I'm saying at Oliver more than one sack because you know it's got it's got to happen and hopefully nobody's like you know illegal touching on the back end, um, which sounds dirtier than it is. Uh, yeah. And then and then as I previewed my my other my offensive prop is that Knox Dawson Knox gets one or more TDs. Yeah, I um, all right. So you've got one and a half sacks and one and a half TDs for yep. uh, Oliver and Knox respectively. 
I'll take the under. I think they both get one each. I think Knox is gonna. I think Knox is gonna make his hay uh, yardage wise this game, because um, I, I just think again, depending on the scheme that the Jets are ultimately gonna pull out, Knox is gonna be really key in moving the chains. And this is something that I will say the Bills have lost from, uh, or not lost, but I think degraded a little bit, regressed back to the mean week to week. For the first four weeks of the season, they were the best team in the league at first and second down efficiency, meaning they were moving the chains on first and second down. And this team was also the highest efficiency third down team. But what happens with the Bills when they get into third and one, third and short, is if the ball is not in Allen's hands, they don't trust the run game to move the chains on third and short. So the third down efficiency has, has regressed a little bit. And because they're taking so many deep shots against man coverage over the last two weeks, their efficiency on first and second down has really been diminished too. I think they want to get back to that, moving the chains, and I think Knox plays a key role with this. I think Vegas has his overall yardage at over under 35 yards receiving this game. I'm going to go with the over on Knox's yardage, and I'm going to take the under on your prop bet because I think he gets one TD. I think like... Six receptions, 90 yards, and a TD. Sounds about right for Knox this week. All right. How about how about props for you, Dan? Do you have any that you'd like to propose? Yeah, I'm going to go total team sacks. Um, so the Buffalo Bills currently this season are averaging right around three sacks per game. They're still one of the most um, one of the most efficient teams at sacking the QB this year. Um, even though their pass rush win rate is down this year, which I can't wait to unpack more fully when we get the opportunity to. Um, but I'm gonna go I'm gonna go team sacks over under four and a half. And I'm gonna take the over. This feels like a five it should be anyway, a five sack game here. Again, if this was Joe Flacco starting, I think he'd get the ball out quicker than Wilson isn't going to. It'd be he'd be a little bit more efficient in his decision making. The Bills have struggled against even aging veteran QBs who can get the ball out quick. Wilson is not that guy. So unless Wilson can all of a sudden play the most disciplined game of his entire career, um, I think the Bills are going to make some hay um, in the sack game. So I'm going to take the over. I'm going to say five sacks. All right, very good. I um, I like it. I'm going to actually take that prop as the under. I think that they're four, three or four is, is, is what I think the Bills maybe finish with because we know that, you know, we saw in the Green Bay game that when the Bills start getting consistent, consistently getting the opposing QB on the ground, the opposing offensive coordinator needs to pivot and try something different. So maybe they move the pocket out to the, to the flats or um, do some different things with Zach Wilson to try to keep him clean. Uh, and so I think three or four is, is fine, but I would love to see the game where Team Sachs is over four and a half. Um, any other props or, or predictions? No, I, I think it's good. Again, it'll be interesting to see how the Jets come out and, and scheme this Buffalo Bills offense. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm just looking forward to another one o'clock Bills game, man. Me too. It's a couple weeks of them, and we're excited for it. Um, as always, if you like the podcast go ahead and, and give us a like uh, subscribe on any any platform that you check out your podcast share it share it with others um, or connect with us on our various socials um, Dan have a great Saturday and uh, go Bulls same to you and go Bulls